Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. I can tell you everything you want to know about insulin, except for why it's priced the way that it is. Why can't you tell me that? Well, because insulin isn't like other drugs. You know what's happened to insulin over the years, right? Through the roof. One of the most egregious examples of what's happening with drug prices regarding the treatment of diabetes and the cost of insulin. Imagine every day having to ask questions like, should I pay my rent or should I risk death by foregoing my medication? A bill to lower insulin costs is headed for an uphill battle in the Senate after passing the House. I'm Annie Reese, and this is Politico Dispatch. My name is Catherine Foley, and I cover the FDA at Politico. Insulin has become the poster child for prescription drug price excess. So insulin is a drug unlike any other drug on the market, and drugs are already in a weird market. Insulin is what economists would call a super inelastic product, which means that no matter what the cost is, people are going to pay for it because it's a life-saving medication. You know, people with type 1 diabetes whose bodies uh, can't make insulin on their own, they could die within days if they don't have insulin handy. And even some people with type 2 diabetes need insulin to mitigate their blood sugar as well. On the show today, Catherine Foley explains why current legislation in the House and Senate really only scratches the surface and how we got here in the first place. Do we know the exact discrepancy between the cost to make it versus like how much it's sold for? Yeah, that is a super great question. And I think it's probably best if we go all the way back to the beginning of insulin, if that works for you. So (laughs) We figured out, scientists figured out what insulin was literally almost 100 years ago. And the researchers who did were so adamant that it could be a life-saving therapeutic that they didn't want to patent it. They didn't want to get any profits from it. They thought it was unethical. So um, they ended up selling it to the University of Toronto for like a dollar, the patent, because they were like, we don't want to make money off this. So you move forward to the 1980s when we figured out how to make human insulin, just to make sure we're all square. Insulin is the hormone that your body produces to tell your cells to take sugar out of the blood. So we eat, we get energy from that food, and insulin says, hey, cells, suck it all up. Nom, nom, nom. Time to munch. And um, (laughs) if we have too much sugar in our blood, it's a really big problem because that could damage everything that your blood touches, which is everything in your body. So that's a quick, quick primer on diabetes and quick primer on insulin, which is what we call a biologic product because it is made using living cells. So in the U.S., like biologics, first of all, are a lot more difficult to make than, say, pills that you take on a day-to-day huh. basis. They require big, big, big lab setup. So there are only three companies in the U.S. that make brand name insulin, and they've had a huge stake in the insulin market for years now. Those companies are Eli Lilly, Novo Nordisk, and Sanofi. Okay. So these three companies, what normally happens when you have like competition between three companies is that one company will lower their prices for whatever reason, and others will try to compete with that. Well, we haven't seen that with insulin so far. What we've seen instead is that Companies will raise their prices, and then within an hour, other companies will do the same. 
So while we can't say exactly what is going on, and while I'm sure these companies have very good reasons or reasons for doing what they're doing, it seems like the opposite of what usually happens when there's some kind of competition is happening. And what would you attribute that to? I can't say. Um, And I actually asked, I posed this question to researchers who have been studying this for a while. One's name is Melissa Barber. She's a PhD candidate at Harvard University studying this kind of thing. And her colleague, um, Diz Gotham, who's actually a physician at the National Health Service in the UK. And they wouldn't want to say, they couldn't tell me either. It's just a very weird market trend where, you know, nobody's, nobody's saying that there's any sort of nefarious action going on. But it's, it's certainly bucks a lot of what you would normally think happens when you have any kind of competition between companies or among companies. So going back to the discrepancy between how much it costs to make versus how much it's actually sold for, you were saying it's a more expensive kind of drug to make than a pill would be. But do we know the percentage or just the exact discrepancy between how much it costs to make and then the markup? Yeah, that's a really great question also. So normally when you think about something that's been on the market for a long time, and again, we're looking back toward like the 80s, normally what happens is as technology improves, you lower the costs of making that drug. So you would think that costs would decrease. But there are two things that are going on with brand name insulin. The first is that these three companies seem to want to keep their patent, which is their exclusive manufacturing rights, on this particular drug. So they keep making like little tiny tweaks to the insulin that like users wouldn't notice, but it allows them to keep saying like, oh, well, actually we're extending our exclusive right to manufacture this product. So it makes it really difficult for generic companies to work their way in. The second thing that's really interesting is whenever you have a drug and you apply for approval from the Food and Drug Administration, The Food and Drug Administration is not only approving the drug, but also exactly how you made it. So a lot of these companies Mm -hmm. are actually using the same technology that they started with. You know, maybe there are minor updates here and there, but they're not really lowering costs of producing insulin. And as I said, biologics are so much harder to make. So, I mean, to answer your question about the price discrepancies, like, sure, technology might have gotten cheaper, but... It doesn't explain why it's costing hundreds of dollars for a vial of insulin that's easily leading to, you know, maybe up to thousands of dollars or at least four figures for patients out of pocket per month if they don't have insurance. So how do insulin prices in this country compare to insulin prices in other countries? Woof. Uh, (laughs) Yikes is one word I would use to describe that. So if we look at Um, you know, Melissa sent me examples of cost of insulin in the UK. And it's like a factor of, I want to say like 10, like, you know, you might be able to get a vial of insulin for like $10 in the UK. And that will be like a couple of hundred dollars here in the US. And the only exception is actually within the Department of Veterans Affairs, because that's the only agency within the government that can negotiate drug prices. The UK can also negotiate drug prices because of their healthcare system. But in the US, we we cannot at the moment negotiate drug prices. So mm. that's why you have these high, high costs here. And, you know, I should say we do have a generic insulin on the market. There was one that FDA approved just last year by Myelin Therapeutics. 
but you still have to ask for it by name, which is, you know, not something, you know, when we talk about this issue of there being a little bit of like brand loyalty among patients, like A, that's not something that patients know they can do. And B, it may not be something they want to do. So that's why you're stuck with these really, really high prices. There are bills in Congress right now about this. There's one in the House and a different one in the Senate. What are they targeting? I think, are they only targeting the actual copay if you have insurance? Yeah. So the House last week passed a bill that would cap the amount of -of out-of-pocket spending people with insurance could pay on insulin. They made it around $35, which is great if you're looking at the like raw cost of insulin. But that also only covers people who have insurance, first of all. And it also doesn't actually lower the cost of insulin itself. It just, you know, insurance companies have said this is just going to make us raise our own premiums. Why have previous attempts never worked? Well, it's really, really hard to get drug companies to lower their prices in any way. I mean, lowering co-pays for insurance is a really good first step, but it's also sort of the step that for Congress pisses off the fewest amount of people, right? You're just looking at Mm -hmm. insurance companies. Whereas like, if you're going to bother or like kick the wasp nest of drug companies, you know, they've got deeper pockets that they would be wanting to fight back a lot. So it's easier to say, like, let's just lower co-pays for patients so that some benefits are getting passed on to patients. And and maybe it is the first step of X into finally lowering drug costs entirely. But I think the main kicker is, like, we just currently can't negotiate with drug companies on their costs. So what would it take to lower the cost? Like, changing, like, we, if we can't negotiate... I mean, there are probably a couple of ways that you could go. One way I see would be sort of doing what we did for vaccines, which is the U.S. government said, okay, we'll basically eat the cost of early stage clinical trials by buying these drugs in advance. Hmm. So maybe the government could do something similar and say, okay, okay, we will guarantee, like we will buy you know, this much insulin at this cost, if you like start to lower it that way, you know, it's like a gradual drug revenue lowering process rather than trying to get companies to like cut off their their revenue on insulin entirely. I think that would be a really expensive solution, um, getting the federal government intervening in that way, but it would also be the one that steps on drug companies toes the least amount. Do you feel that there is a growing like clamor about this? It's really hard to say because it seems like there is now and there has been over the past few years. I think we see cycles of other drugs where we realize that drugs are too expensive. You know, we saw it first with HIV drugs. Then we saw it with the EpiPen. Insulin is one of those things that has been there for a long time. I hate saying this because, you know, all conditions... All people living with all conditions deserve to have access to treatment. But part of me wonders if it's the fact that, you know, there's less than 2 million adults and children living with type 1 diabetes, and that's the type we usually associate with needing insulin. So I wonder if that's just too small of a figure to, you know, get people to care. But I mean, we hear these horrible stories about people rationing their... Um, their insulin to like make it stretch longer. And that's just not something you want to do with like a really vital biological product. Catherine Foley, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you so much for having me.
Also in the news, former President Donald Trump has poured money into a midterm race for the first time this cycle. Trump's Save America PAC transferred $500,000 to a super PAC devoted to defeating Republican Governor Brian Kemp, who the former president targeted over his refusal to overturn Georgia's 2020 election results. Governor Kemp is in a primary with former Senator David Perdue. And Politico and Morning Consult have a new poll breaking down where the public stands on permanently forgiving student loan debt. By a two-to-one margin, voters supported federal forgiveness of at least some student loan debt, although voters are roughly evenly split over how high a priority student loan debt relief should be for Congress. And only 5% of voters list education issues as the main driver of their vote in the midterms this year. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch includes music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.